Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Nick Finzer, and today I'm joined by trombonist extraordinaire, uh, Mario Bildstein uh, from New York City. She's joining us today, and uh, we're going to be talking about her new album, Backbone, out November the 13th. Yeah, November 13th, 2020. And I'm really excited to be able to share this music, but uh, more excited to say hello to Mariel. So Mariel, thanks for being here. I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So let's let's dive right into the record and we'll and then we'll kind of back up and give people some context about you and your music. So tell us a little bit about Backbone. Tell us who's on it and uh, and what kind of in, was the inspiration behind getting this record together. Sure. So Backbone is my first debut album. Um, I put it together to sort of have a snapshot of where I was um, at the beginning of 2019. Um, and it features my good friend and co-producer Evan Sherman on the drums, Sean Mason on piano, Stacey Dillard on the tenor and soprano saxophones, and Ben Wolf on bass. And then we're joined um, by someone who's really a, an amazing percussionist from Cuba named Kaisel Jimenez, who I play with in Arturo O'Farrell's band. Um, and he's featured on one of the tracks as well. And I put this band together because they're some of my very favorite musicians and people to be around. They're all incredibly supportive and really amazing musicians who are all sort of lyrical and very playful in their own way. Mm. And so it was a real treat to dig into that and dig it, to dig into my own lyricism and playfulness um, and feature the band on some of my favorite songs that I've learned the past years um, and some of my favorite things that I've put together. So that's sort of the idea for the band was just, the album was just to sort of put together a sort of snapshot of where I was at that time. Perfect. So beginning of 2019, it was recorded, now finally coming out. Um, love that. Love. We always love to be able to help with that first release because it's always a uh, you know, good, a good demarcation of like, here we go, like, you know, putting yourself yeah. out there. So um, always appreciate that. So let's back up and give people a little bit of context. So let, where did you where did you grow up? And how did you start getting into jazz and playing trombone? Sure. So I started playing trombone when I was 10 years old in fifth grade. I there's an elementary school band at my school, and all my friends were in band playing all sorts of different instruments. And so in order to hang out with them, I figured I needed to pick an instrument. Um, I'd played piano and really hated it earlier. It was sort of my German mother, um, you know, cracking the whip when I was a kid. And, um, and so anyway, so I really hated that, but I always loved music growing up. I always loved sort of singing and dancing and performing in a certain way. Um, and so I picked the trombone because honestly, I was trying to be helpful in the band. They didn't have any trombonists. So I did that. And there was this amazing teacher named Jocelyn who just sort of supported me doing it and wasn't too phased about me playing trombone. Um, and then as time went on, I just really fell in love with the instrument and realized how special it is and how so close to a human voice it is as well. So it's been sort of a, I've fallen more in love with it as time has gone on, but it was sort of a chance encounter. None of my family are musicians. Um, 
my dad's an astrophysicist and my mom's an architect. Oh. So my, I come from a family of real nerds. So, um, you know, playing music was always just fun for me as a kid. And um, as time went on, I felt more and more in love with it. And it really became my passion. As for jazz, um, that was sort of in middle school, high school, I got really into it again through school and then in I grew up in Santa Barbara California and there is a city college there in town and so I joined a program that was amazing because it was a city college but you could join even if you were 13 years old or something so mm -hmm. I would go to that program um, and totally get my ass handed to me by all these college kids but it was really fun and I got to play with some musicians that I'm still really good friends with and that I work with all the time mm -hmm. um, and that was very inspiring for me to to pursue it as something that I that you know as a career, but also just as like my greatest love. Um, and that inspired me to study music for college, um, which you know not going to college was not an option. So that was what I was doing. And um, you know. My parents were always very supportive, but kind of skeptical of the whole, okay, are you really going to be a musician sort of thing? Sure, yeah. And so I went to the new school mm -hmm. for jazz and contemporary music in downtown Manhattan. And that was really, I mean, if you talk about like, where was the time where you really fell in love with jazz? Mm -hmm. It was those first couple of years in new school. And really because I was in New York that I was exposed to so much amazing music so many amazing musicians just sort of thrown in the deep end of being around incredible students and incredible musicians and mentors just in the New York scene. And so for me, that's when it was like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do because I was not always convinced, you know, I was like, ah, oh, maybe this is, maybe this will work. <laughs> um, and I think my first couple of years in New York really just, I was so inspired. Um, and so that's, you know, since then it's, it's been, you know, the greatest love of my life. So it's been really, um, that's sort of my background. And, and so it's been a slow sort of ramp up of being mm -hmm. into the music. Um, so yeah, it's been a treat. That's very, that's really interesting. So when you, when you were in like high school or whatever, did you have your eyes set on like, I'm going to go to New York or was it just that like you applied to a bunch of schools and that, that was the one that you landed at? Yeah, so being in New York was a big priority for me. My okay. mom grew up in Queens, um, which now I understand <laughs> why she is the way she is so much better than when I was growing up in California. Um, so we would visit my grandparents. They still live here. And so we would visit my grandparents every couple of years in New York. And I just loved the city. I loved the energy of it. It was always sort of intoxicating coming here as a kid um, and so different from Santa Barbara, which is a pretty sleepy beach town in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. A beautiful place, but not the most um, stimulating, shall we say. Sure. So, yeah, so being in New York is important. And then making a school decision, I sort of had my heart set on living in New York eventually. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was starting to take music more seriously, it felt like a good fit. So my thought process was, I'm gonna end up in New York sooner or later. Mm -hmm. How soon can I get my ass kicked? And <laughs> so that was really why I moved to New York. Um, sort of, you know, I was 18, graduated high school and moved to New York. Um, 
So that was sort of my thinking of that. It's like, I'm going to be here eventually, so we might as well get this over with. Just get there. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I like that. I like that mentality. Just go for it. Yeah. Um, so when you were at the new school, mm-hmm. who were some of your, um, you know, the most important kind of figures that kind of helped you navigate into the scene? Because I know you're super busy. Well, playing gigs when there were gigs. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I had, I mean, New School has a really cool program where you can pick any private teacher or any musician in New York to be your private teacher. So I sort of had my, you know, a a huge selection of amazing musicians to choose from. So I studied with people like Elliot Mason and Sam Burtis and Vincent Gardner, Mike Ladon, the piano player, and, um, and Steve Ture. So those were sort of my private mentors. And then at the school, there were people like Reggie Workman, who played with Art Blakey for a long time. One of my very favorite teachers at the new school was Jane Ira Bloom. She mm. was an awesome teacher, so thorough. Um, and there was Bobby Sanabria, who led Afro-Cuban big band. Yeah, I had a lot of, of mentors. And I would say that the person who really, I mean, if we're talking about ass kicking, Mike Ladon was sort of the one <laughs> really laid it on thick and, and it was great. And, um, you know, the stuff that he taught me, I'm still working on and I don't think I'll ever be done working on that sort of stuff. Just real harmony sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so those were my biggest mentors, but then at, at sort of through school, but then because I was in New York and I definitely wasn't limited to just the school scene, I was out and about. Um, I got sort of involved in things at Jazz at Lincoln Center pretty early on. Um, they had a late night session at Dizzy's that was led by Michael Muenzo for a long time. And that's really where I met, you know, students from Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music and professionals and like people that were just around and their energy and his love for the music and the, the people that he sort of surrounded himself with, that was a huge inspiration for me and sort of the first time I realized, oh, jazz is cool. (laughs) Um, Like I knew it, but I thought you only could play like the SF Jazz Collective for it to be cool. And so just to understand (laughs) that like swing music in all of its time periods is dance music and Mm -hmm. pop music and meant to be partied to that was a revelation for me when I was, you know, 18 to 20. Um, so that was a huge influence on sort of what I, where my focus lied. Um, mm. And yeah, that really influenced me. I mean, even now, like that's sort of the scene that I got myself into and the people that I play with and the music I play has really been because of that, mm-hmm. not so much the new school. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah. um so I know that you're not only doing your own thing and play. I know you've played with Evan, with Evan Sherman and a lot of other things. So what other projects are you kind of involved with at this point? I know you've been touring a bit or were touring a bit with that Brass Against group. And uh, yeah. so you're, you're kind of doing all kinds of things. So where can people find you other than playing your own music? Yeah, um, yeah, I do a lot of side side work. Um, I am now the lead trombonist for Arturo O'Farrell's big band that plays at Birdland every Sunday. Um, and now we're doing a lot of virtual stuff, so I do that. Um, yeah, the band Brass Against I've been really involved with and we're touring internationally. 
Um, and that's a cover band that does Rage Against the Machine songs and Tool songs, but we've now started to write original music, so that's been a real treat. Um, and then, yeah, lot, lots of big bands in the city. Um, that's been like, I mean, like a lot of trombonists, like that's where the most work is for trombones. So a lot of big band stuff. And then a lot of, um, you know, funk bands and sort of party situations and um, playing with Frank Lacey's Tromboniverse has been a real treat. He's one of my mentors and um, such a, an amazing musician and composer and guy. <laughs> He's one of my good friends as well. And so um, I sort of helped him organize putting this trombone group together that plays at Smalls and mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. Um, so that's been a treat. But yeah, it's sort of, yeah, my, my career has been more diverse than I think I expected. Um, but I really love a lot of different styles of music. And so it's just fun to, to get involved in a lot of different things. Um, I play Brazilian music with this band called Nation Beat. Uh, that just came out with an album so yeah it's been sort of all sorts of things and it's been fun for me to just dig into all this amazing music because there's just so much of it out there so um limiting myself to one style um you know i think i had insecurities about that when i was younger thinking oh you know jazz people aren't going to take me seriously or whatever but i've just realized it doesn't matter and yeah <laughs> so there you go whatever there you go that's perfect. No, that's really good advice because, uh, well, I, as a person that is, you know, working with young people often, uh, well, you know, students is what I mean, is that uh, they have that hang up all the time as well. So yeah. that's really good advice. Um, so how did that, all of this stuff that we're talking about, how did that kind of coalesce into this first project of yours? Yeah, good question. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, when you think about an album, I think there's a lot of insecurity that can kind of come around it of, okay, well, what, what am I trying to say or what am I trying to do? And so just understanding that it's sort of a snapshot in time was really helpful for me to sort of take the pressure off of, um, of any sort of things that would hold me back from making an album. Um, it's like, you might as well just do it now, <laughs> like screw it. Um, and I think I've, you know, all of those things have really influenced my playing. And um, and so I just wanted to get in there and just sort of get the ball rolling of, okay, well, let's put together a set of music. I think what really helped was um, I'd been sort of thinking about doing it for, I don't know, a little while. And then I got this week-long gig at Dizzy's um, and realized, okay, this is a time where if I can get a band, if I can get this band together, that I've been working with and playing with and I have these arrangements I've been working on and songs I want to play okay this will be this sort of perfect time to get our shit together and play music every night and sort of develop something and then go into the studio and so that was really fun for me to just sort of put that all together have an end goal in sight and and really develop something I mean it's not like you know, I was on the road with them for months. I mean, that would be ideal, but this was the closest thing in my world that I could sort of handle um, sure. or that was available to me at the time. And so I just sort of used that to my advantage and, and took that opportunity and, and ran with it. And um, it was really fun to work on the arrangements. It was really fun to put together the music. 
Um, I was really thinking a lot about different sort of moods and the different ways that we can play and the sort of through line of beautiful melodies has been my priority for sure. I mean, when I think about music, it's just, what is the melody? How can I play the melody? And I would say that that's my strength sort of above all else. Um, and so how can I highlight myself in that way and also highlight the other band members um, because they're just such beautiful, beautiful musicians. So that was sort of the inspiration timeline yeah. thing, <laughs> um, I guess, I guess you would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great, that's a great story of how to, number one, come over, get over that, fe that fear of like doing the first record, you know, yeah. I feel, feel like a lot of people, the longer they wait, the more the pressure builds because they're like, it has to be whatever they think it has to be. Right. It has to be perfect. Exactly. And I think actually talking to you really helped me when I was thinking about, I mean, it was after this album was done, but mm -hmm. just you saying, I remember we had a conversation where you said, well, this one is fine, but like, what's next, <laughs> you know? And, and what's really important is that you have a body of work. Um, and so that really helped me in making decisions about, you know, getting it out there because I mm -hmm. definitely overthink it and it's just like you know just move on <laughs> go on to the next thing and that was that was such helpful advice so that. oh sure that's what I that's what I try to live and breathe myself so yeah. um so there's some really interesting maybe a little slightly off the beaten path tunes that you picked for this record and so I'm interested to hear kind of how you picked picked these tunes together. I know you have the Echoes on there and there's a tune called Rosita that people don't necessarily know about. You might yeah. be able to, to tell us about those. Sure, so yeah, so Rosita, I, it's one of, I mean, all of these songs are my favorites and I'll keep saying that, but mm -hmm. Rosita is sort of a highlight for me. Um, I heard it first on this album that features Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster. It's like this two tenor album that's amazing. And they play this melody and I just, I remember the first time I heard it, I just, I couldn't believe it. The recording was so beautiful and fuzzy and warm and just made you, it made me feel so um, cozy. <laughs> and it's just such a beautiful, a beautiful track on the album. And so it got me sort of curious, okay, what is the song? Cause I'd never heard it before. And it's not like a standard by any mm -hmm. means. Um, and so I did some digging and found out that it was written by Paul DuPont for this silent film called Rosita by Ernst Lubitsch um, in 1923. And it was sort of, a, it was written to accompany this silent film. And so it just got me sort of digging around. And, um, and I think that that's sort of my process for most of the arrangements is I'll sort of hear something that I really love or um, on a record or live or whatever it may be, and then just sort of do some some digging and and find other influences and other people and, and other people's work, and then sort of kind of pack something together that feels like it tells my discovery of the song and my interpretation of it, sort of based on all the different influences that I've had. So yeah, I think it's a really cool track. I you know I wrote this intro that's very sort of grand and um rosita has to go to the cat the, the silent film is a whole love triangle story but she has to go to the castle and it's like this whole thing and everyone dies and um <laughs> <laughs> it's so joyful story yeah it's great so um 
but the I was just sort of thinking about her coming into the castle and sort of a fanfare feeling that sort of descends into this beautiful melody. And so um, that was sort of my inspiration for that. For Ekero, um, you know, same sort of process of hearing the song, like, wow, this is just awesome. <laughs> Such an amazing tune. And then, you know, the intro and outro, um, there's this bit in Horace's, Horace Silver's solo that he plays on his trio record that I sort of orchestrated for the band. And so that sort of bookended the tune. Um, for the man that got away, I was thinking of that as sort of like an angry breakup song. Um, and so the, all of that had a sort of this angry plunger stuff and all of that. Um, so yeah, so I think it's been sort of discovering songs that I think are beautiful and strike me in a certain way and then sort of put something together that, that, uh, that feels like, okay, this could be a presentation of some sort. Oh yeah, for sure. And it feels that way, you know, when you listen to it too, it's something, but this thing, this process that you're describing of like hearing something and then going to discover more about it is something just like for like the, any students that are listening, it's like, that is where you find your inspiration. At least I think like that is missing sometimes I think from teaching where let's just like, people are like, learn this, now learn this, now learn this. And it's like, no, yep. you gotta go and find some stuff you like. Yeah. Doesn't matter yeah. what I like, like you have to find what you like. Exactly. So I, I that story is really, um, I hope inspiring to, to some of the younger students that are gonna check this out. Yeah, and it lifts um, the pressure off too from being like, I think, you know, I definitely overthink, you know, am I being original or whatever? And it's sort of like, it doesn't really matter because at least to me, I mean, I struggle with this. So I wouldn't say that I, you know, have found the golden ticket to this, but, um, you know, understanding that you are only your influences and, and that that's sort of enough to just fly with that for a minute and um and that that can be a beautiful thing and it's an, an in of itself and that the original uh, originality sort of comes from you listening to all this stuff and interpreting it in a certain way so for me that's just been sort of helpful to not beat myself up too much about you know because none of these songs are originals um but i think each song there's a very sort of unique take on it and i think that 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 has value as well Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a premium placed on, well, whether it's deserved or not on like original music at, at this moment in time, but you're totally right. And I totally agree with you. So one thing that I've been wanting to ask you, I've been waiting for a moment, moment to ask you is, um, how do you keep your plants so alive? You have such great plants behind you in this. I know not everyone can see this right now, but I have started to get plants and tried to keep them alive, but they're dying on me. So okay. how do I take care of my plants? Well, um, how is the light in your house? Um, they're near the window. Okay. And what uh, direction does your window face? Ooh, good question. What direction is that? It's north. Okay. So yeah. So north is going to be a little tricky. I oh, was okay. in an apartment for a long time that had north facing windows and my plants would do okay if they were close to the window. So I think you'll probably be fine, but they're not gonna get as much light. So finding plants that are lower light needing mm -hmm. will be helpful. Um, I now live in an apartment that's south facing, which is like 
houseplant dream land. Oh, okay. I see. Um, and so, I mean, you can't hear. Like, oh, wow. You have so, so many. Yeah. That's amazing. And there's like a tree behind that door. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, how do, you, how do you do about with watering? Like, what's your. Well, I've been, I've been trying to like, to um, maintain. We've been like trying to feel the soil and like. Yeah all that kind of thing and like we have we have one that looks like the one in your corner behind you too and like washing off the leaves every yep. week like making sure they can get the sunlight and all of that good for you i don't yeah. know i've been watching a lot of uh videos on youtube about taking care of plants yeah i mean uh, i think i think um so i have a watering schedule which do? is okay. my boyfriend had this idea he's like watering Wednesday, which okay. has really stuck. And now everyone in my house, we have a lot of plants in the house. And so we all do watering Wednesday, which is every Wednesday we water all the plants. Now that doesn't cover everything, but you know, some plants need more or less, but it's sort of this designated day where I take care of my plants. And so that's been helpful just so it's not this like daily thing that I have to think about. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, another thing to think about is rotating the plant. So it doesn't like lean in a certain direction towards the light. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. You can think about fertilizer. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, love I, that you have so many. That's, yeah. It's inspiring. I got to get on your level. I've spent too much money. I got to tell you. <laughs> but now I'm learning. I've been learning how to propagate. So the plants that I do have, I can just make more. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. So, so have you heard of propagation? No, I don't know what that is. Okay. So it's pretty much, we can talk more about this another time. <laughs> it's much like taking off a bit of a plant that has the sort of place where a root would grow and soaking it in water for a long time, um, where the root does grow from through the water. And then you can plant that plant and that'll start a new plant. I see. So it's just sort of like making these little babies. Oh, wow. Well, that sounds like a good thing to be doing during this whole no gigging situation of 2020 it doesn't take much time you know i mean that's the thing it's like it doesn't i mean and they're doing really well because i'm not on tour right <laughs> like, right i'm very attentive um but yeah it's been fun and for me it just makes me happy to have plants around like it it's, it does make a difference i didn't think it was going to make a difference but it does make a difference it does yeah excellent so uh what else about the record uh do you want to share i know i took a took a turn to the left there for a second but i just i had to ask <laughs> fine um i don't know i mean I'm trying to think where's the best place for people to um to buy it do, do your website do you want them to go to amazon where do you want people to go um you know i i should ask you i don't know <laughs> well they can go know. to any place they can go they can find it on your website i'm sure what's your website marielbuildston.com right and you can find it on amazon it definitely will be there and then yep. Probably, if you want to put it on Bandcamp, that's also a good place to It'll support the artists directly. And Spotify and iTunes. Yep. And yeah, I mean, however you can get your hands on it, do it. <laughs> yes. So November 13th, the album comes out featuring Mariel and her band and all these wonderful new takes on some um, not overplayed music, for sure. Hopefully not. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, well, thank you, Mario, for taking some time to chat today. We appreciate you being here. And uh, November 13th, Backbone will be out in all of your favorite music listening places. All right, well, thanks for being here, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>